what is Christ doing in the announcement and proclamation of his name that knocks people flat? He is inhabiting the splendor and the majesty of God Most High. All things. That's the majesty we're witnessing here. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Our sermon passage today is from John chapter 17, verses 25 to chapter 18, verse 14. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you sent me. I have I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to himself, came forward and said to them, who are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. For they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been a while in John 17. And uh, you have heard me now. I, I think I don't, I don't know how many messages we we uh, we had in that in that sequence, but but there was a fair number. And um, and I kept talking about what a wonderful wonderful part of Scripture this was. How just how overwhelmed I was. How how amazed and how and by its beauty, by its splendor, by by just the sheer majesty of it. And one of the things that kept occurring to me is we, we are we are eavesdropping on transcendence. <laughs> which is very, very intentionally, not inappropriately. We've been invited into that, like little kids, just invited in to sit in the corner of the room while, 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 while the parents are talking, some that kind of feeling. And, and, and that's what's just happened. 
And uh, John, uh, uh, John takes his narrative and launches us here in chapter 18, launches us right in to what's called the passion narrative. It is the story of the betrayal and the cruelty and the confusion and the chaos and the conflict that happens right after this prayer is done. And I, and I guess that's where I wanted to kind of, that's the first thing I, that I noticed. And the first thing, the first compelling thing that I want you to notice, and I'm hoping that together we can, we can, we can get, get some fruit out of this strange transition. Now, now mo typically in a narrative, there's, there's some sort of transition, transitions that, that move the action or, or, or cement the, the story together. But there's a certain almost, um, I guess the feeling I was going to say was almost, you ever, ever felt like a really violent pothole in your car? I mean, the kind of pothole that you just kind of go, ooh, ow, that was jarring. I felt that in my teeth, you know, that kind of feeling. Like, boom, you hit something really hard in the road. And that's kind of what this feels like, this abrupt motion. Here we are in splendor, and Christ is talking about and love more ancient than the universe. And then, all of a sudden, we descend. All of a sudden, we are thrust into the confusion and the cruelty and, all, and the, the conflict. All of a sudden, uh, the, the world seems to go dark. Things, things, there's such a dramatic transition here. And the world of prayer and beauty and glory and eternity in heaven is all of a sudden gone. It's silent. It is no longer, no longer present, it would seem. And in fact, uh, we, we're going to trade these glorious sentences and this glorious conversation and this glorious subject for what? Cut off ears and beatings, lies and scandal, a scandalous, scandalous uh, attack on the innocent. Quite remarkable. We can actually go through it in, 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 in some detail right here, and we can see it in the narrative itself. The, um, we notice that what, what happened? We went from glory to what? Went from glory to a traitor in the inner circle. Then we went from, uh, from, from what? From the peace and the promise of joy and the promise of a peace that fulfills to what? Conflict. Conflict that is escalating and spilling over with lanterns and swords and a band of soldiers. We have gone from uh, a place of beauty where Christ is praying that we, that we would be one and that we would have his knowledge, his word in us. What do we, we turn to now? Now we're left with confusion. And, 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 and the best of us and the good guys are confused, disastrously confused, and don't understand the mission. They're not on mission. They're not on value. Peter, it totally misunderstands what is happening. Confusion reigns. And then finally, uh, in this final thing we see here, Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, the, high, the, the chief religious leader, and Annas, and, 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 and he was the one plotting. So the good guys are disastrously confused, but the bad guys are mobilized. Worse than that, the bad guys think they're the good guys. And worse than that, as you get to the very, very end of this text, very end of verse 14 there where it says, it would be expedient that one man should die for the people, we have gone from the conversation of love in the prayers of Jesus with his Father to what? Now the ends justify the means, and we're going to get where we need to get 
we're going to go where we need to go. And religious, cruel religious leaders now are moving into action their bid for power. <laughs> now, I want to walk you into the way I was wrestling with this text this week. You know, I, I, I do struggle uh, with, with a disastrous kind of uh, depression at times that I don't quite know what to do with, and, that, and it can be very, very hard on me. And sometimes there's triggers, sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's a link of things in darkness. And sometimes in the darkness, there'll be a, in, in the sadness, there'll be, a, there'll be a, a, a thought that occurs to me. And the thought that dominated me this week was this text and moving on to chapter 18. And I kept thinking about this high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in my darkness, in the darkness I was feeling, in the, in the uh, grief that I was experiencing, I remember thinking to myself, or hearing a voice perhaps, or hearing some voice from my flesh, or something, say to me, whisper to me, ask me, did Jesus' prayer make a difference? I'm putting it out there. Materially on the ground in the narrative, did it make a difference? Well, let's ask a bigger question. Let's ask about our narrative, your narrative, our narrative with the virus, a narrative of the confusion and some of the conflict and the cruelty that we see in our lives and in our world. I asked the question again. Did Jesus' prayer make a difference? Does it matter? Because it's essential that it must. And I've been building that relentlessly. It's essential that the, that the God, the Son, when he asks for something from the God, the Father, that he receives it. Because otherwise, if that doesn't happen, then everything, nothing makes sense anymore. And, and all bets are off, and this is a waste of time, and Zoom uh, is better served doing something else. Because this is pointless if the Son does not prevail. If God, the Son doesn't prevail with God, the Father. So you see, the crisis, and it really, I mean, I was sorrowful because i kept thinking where is the glory where is the peace where is the unity where is the love where is this church that you prayed for father and where how's it taking shape with us and and what am i supposed to do how am i supposed to move on i was this is my complaint to preach through 18 and to preach about this ugliness of going to the cross hmm. well something got to happen along the way as you can imagine and and, I, and, and, and as I was kind of descending into 17 here, and, this, and some of the, the hard-hitting into the real world, as it were, you know, <laughs> the real world. I don't know if you ever heard that lecture. I always hated that. Well, in the real world, Chris, you're lectured by older folks or more experienced people or folks who, who know their stuff. And you know, in the real world, this is the way, the way things really work, you know. Warned about the real world. You get to the real world. Let's get, let's get to the real world. This is what I want to do here. I want to walk through those 12, uh, those 14 verses with you. And as we walk through it, I think you're going to see something. You're going to see with me something that I saw. You're going to see that Jesus has a perfect knowledge, a perfect perception. And, and, and we're being called to trust the perfect perceptions of Jesus. And I, I, it's there. It's there. Let me tell you, he is regal. He is majestic. He is no victim. He knows. He has perfect perception, perfect knowledge. What else does he have? He still has perfect power. His very name, <laughs> his very name, which was, which when said before to the people he loved was merely an invitation into his love. But when he says it to those who are against him, his name does what? Causes them all to fall. Oh my goodness. In this place of confusion, clarity and cruel, I'm sorry, confusion, confusion, uh, conflict and cruelty. 
Christ has perfect power. What else does he have? He also has a perfect purpose. Look at look in verse 11 there. He's saying, I drink of the cup. And, 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 and we see on these three moments, these three beautiful moments, Christ is possessing in the midst of the darkness of this crisis as he goes to the cross. His own perfect peace, his own perfect knowledge, his own perfect power, his own perfect purposes are all in line. And he is almost, as it were, unruffled. He knows something. Oh, I want to walk into this and trust it. I want to walk in. I want to walk. I want us to walk with, with it together. So what I suppose we'll do is we're going to look at these three parts where Christ acts this way and, 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 and uh, invite it to, to, to speak peace to our restless hearts. Because we are right now in a time of conflict, confusion, and cruelty. And uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of bewildering bewildering questions and, uh, and concerns and fear and uncertainty and doubt and confusion everywhere. It's just, it's, 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 it's our universal common experience right now. I want you with me. I, Christ spoke into it to my heart this week and I, 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 and I'm just turning around and speaking it back to you and it's here, here for us to see. I hope you see it with me. Father, give us power to see it, power to perceive and power to know. All right, let's take a look here. Um, knowing all that would happen to himself, <laughs> the perfect perception of Christ. Here he is. Here he is. Um, he's. He, uh, we we uh, we talk about God's knowledge, and 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 I want you to see something. I noticed something here. It's kind of wonderful, because Christ is enacting his posture, his position, his, his power, the way he's portraying himself, the, the way he is, he's navigating this, the crisis and the conflict, is utter majesty. He is, he is the great I am. He is the Lord. You can't miss it. This knowing, what kind of knowing is it? We're told about it. It's the knowing that's reflected in David's wonderful his wonderful reflection, his poetic exploration of the knowledge of the knowing love of God. I am, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, I am, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge, oh, it's too wonderful for me. It is high. I, I can't attain it. It's, it's a kind of knowing that David realizes he doesn't even really understand. And the knowing he describes of the Lord most high and whom is love, it, whose knowledge is it? Who's he describing? Well, he's describing Jesus in this situation, isn't he? It amazes me that the Old Testament descriptions of God describe his New Testament attitudes of Christ in the midst of this crisis. Beautiful. And what does it do? What does it do? What does his knowing do? Well, it, catapults him into action. He came, knowing all that happened, he came forward. It's just, oh, I get, I get so excited about this. It's a knowing that is never passive. It is never content to merely know data, but to know you, to know us and to be know our situation. Oh, this is great stuff. And Christ always moves in his knowing. His knowing is never a deistic, removed uh, observation of your status and your problems. But instead, it is perfect perception and insight and knowledge into who you are and to what you are and to where you're going and what you're doing. Perfect knowledge, perfect insight.
And, and I, uh, I, I, this is, uh, it, it leads us into it. And, and his, knowing, his knowing is beautiful. But I want you, I want you to, I want to tease at this for a second. Because what really hit me here was he's telling you, verse 4 is telling you that Jesus knew everything that's going to happen. What did he do knowing all that? He had been praying. Look at the, look at, put it in red up there. He, what was Christ, with his perfect knowledge of all that would happen, what did he decide to do? Now, I'm going to ask, I could ask my wife. She's sitting over there. I could ask me. I could ask you. If you had perfect knowledge about the day, perfect knowledge about tomorrow, perfect knowledge about the week, perfect knowledge about Corona, what would you do? <laughs> you know? And, and he, just, he acts. He, he moves forward in this knowledge. And, oh, and it's for us. He prays. He prays. It's funny, funny to me that so often, you see, people will often say to me, why should I pray if God knows what I need or want? Forgetting and missing that his knowing is a part of his loving and that acting in prayer is the work of ministry. Oh, how I encourage you, acting in prayer is the work of the church. Oh, how I encourage you, First Presbyterian Church. Look, there's 24 people, apparently, 24 machines on the uh, whatever, uh, logged in today. I'm lucky if I can get one of us to go to prayer. We have prayer meetings during the week. Sometimes somebody shows up, sometimes somebody doesn't. It's usually the consistently the same people. But you know what my heart doesn't want? I don't want to convict you. I don't want to castigate you. I want to call you to, don't you see what Jesus is teaching you? What he's teaching me? What he's teaching us? It, because we are always descending. Look, when you leave this worship today, you're moving right out into the world. And guess what the world is in right now? Confusion, conflict, and cruelty. It's everywhere. And we're facing our own bewilderment, fake news. Everybody accuses everybody else. And who knows what is true and what isn't? Who knows when recovery? Who knows how dangerous the virus is? Who knows? We're acting in it. We don't know. Do you hear? Jesus knows. What are you supposed to know when you don't know? Or even if you do know? If you do know, you'll pray. And if you don't know, you should be praying. Oh, prayer is not a preparation for the work of the kingdom. It is the kingdom. And knowing, knowing, it's just knowing. He knew all this was going to happen. His choice was to pray. <laughs> it gets better than this. Um, John actually, in verse 1 there, it says, Jesus has spoken these words. He went with his disciples across the book, brook Kidron, where there was a garden. And when he, he and his disciples entered, and right at the end of verse 1 there, there's a gap. Uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, filled in. Uh, they tell the story of how Christ went into that garden called Gethsemane, and he pled with God to pass the cup from him, to pass the cup, uh, if, if, if it was possible. Now, God, uh, that wasn't what was going to happen. So, when, so he just prayed that. He had just prayed that, and John doesn't record it. But Knowing all that would happen, he had prayed to be able to get out of it. Sometimes you and I will pray to get out of the situations we're in. We'd like to pray to get out of coronavirus. We'd pray to get out of this nightmare we're in. But you know what? I know a, and we're allowed to pray that, but we're also called to pray when God does not release us from the situation we're in. He did not release his own son. We're called to what? Pray. And it's even better. Pray for what? What would you pray for in the, in, if, you, if these events were coming on? You pray that... Judas would get lost or confused, that the soldiers would, would not would be lazy and not show up or get to the wrong place, or you'd pray that Peter would figure it out. Or you'd, you'd be praying for all the details. What did Christ pray for? 
in light of the, of the conflict and confusion and cruelty he was about to face. He prayed for the glory of his God, his Father, his own glory in him, his own love in us, unity. I mean, he prays for all the things you're kind of like going, huh? What does that have to do with soldiers, swords, and, and danger in the night? What does it have to do with a virus? What does it have to do with economic fallout? What does it have to do with political parties? What does it have to do with my religious freedom? But it, <laughs> we need to pray for the beautiful things of God. Don't you get it? Christ is teaching us, knowing all this would happen, he chose to pray for the glory of the Most High. What do you choose to do? Oh, let's enter his choices together. Come on, let's get down to it. Let's get down to the business. Let's adopt the priorities in prayer that he gives us here and turn and trust his perfect perception. But like I said, Christ never sits still, does he? Christ really does not merely pray. He also acts as he comes forward here, as he, he's almost, um, gosh, you know, I, really God is living, living action. <laughs> he's never, he's living action. The, the, the atoms around us are, are under his command. That's what we look at next. Let's look at his perfect power. Now, then uh, uh, let's trust it. Let's look, trust it right now. Because we'll marry to a perfect knowledge that extends to every, the position of every atom in the known universe and every thought and attitude of your heart. What's married to that perfect knowledge, that perfect perception? Perfect power. You know, to, have, to know a lot but not to have power is not an enviable position, right? It, kind of, it wouldn't be a lot, it doesn't create a lot of hope. In fact, create a lot of frustration. And a lot of us know a lot of things that we wish we had power over, but we don't. And that's why we pray. And, uh, and it returns back. That returns back as an idea right there. You can see the call to pray comes out right away. But his power, raw. Oh, ooh, it's good stuff. Christ literally says, I am. It's the answer to the question, but it also happens to be the name. It's the name that John has been using repeatedly over and over again to show you Jesus' self-understanding and John's affirmation. And all these men uh, experience of a God, man, a man who was a God, a God who became man. And they all say, they all experience that. And this was one of those moments where the declaration of his name, bam, everybody, oh, can you believe, what a scene, it's like something out of a movie. Well, it gets better than that even, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like something out of a movie, but what is Christ acting like? What is Christ acting like here? The eternal God. We, we, we read this in our responsive reading, and I think it is such a beautiful verse. I wanted to call attention to it again. It's Psalm 145. It is extraordinary. It's extraordinarily beautiful. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. You think that's talking about God Almighty from eternity. Yeah, it is. And it's talking about Jesus. It's power. I form light and create darkness. Who's that talking about? Jesus. I make well-being and create calamity. Who is this? Jesus. Jesus even talks about his own, about what God's power is like in Matthew 10. Do not fear those who kill the body, but it cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are worth more valuable than many sparrows. John, uh, later on, Paul sums all of these ideas away from Psalms and Isaiah and from Christ's words. And what does he say in Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, not for others, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What is Christ doing in the announcement and proclamation of his name that knocks people flat? He is in, he is in, 
he is inhabiting the splendor and the majesty of God Most High. All things. I form. Oh, my goodness. That's the majesty we're witnessing here. Isn't it? It gets even better. <laughs> it even gets even better. Um, you all are familiar with, uh, there's a wonderful moment in Star Wars, in the, in the very first Star Wars, uh, where Ben Kenobi uh, is faced with some stormtroopers who want to stop them, some soldiers. And I just never thought about it before. But this is exactly what Jesus does here. And, and George Lucas is a good writer. He took, he took the story from the Gospels. Because what is, what is, what is, uh, what does, um, what is Christ really saying here? These are not the disciples you're looking for. <laughs> these are not, and it, these are soldiers. Who commands soldiers? Other soldiers. And they are aware of their hierarchy and their, and they, they know who they answer to and whose orders they obey. But when Christ speaks, men go. When Christ speaks, men's hearts pop open. When Christ speaks, men fall. When Christ speaks, men come alive. When Christ, that's what it is. His voice active in the universe is the very sound that created all of space and time in the beginning. And it's the same voice here. And it's the same voice now speaking to your heart. Words of life, trust the power of Christ. Trust it. Extraordinary. His perfect power is at work now. Now, do you get why this is so important? What's the point of all the men falling down? What's the point of Christ telling them who's going to go and who's not? The point is, he is not a victim. He hasn't been caught at unawares. He is permitting this. He is acting as a regal king and lord. Oh, this is glorious, isn't it? Uh, all things work for him, for, 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 for him, and now for us. And, and so the situation is under control. <laughs> there is no surprises here. This is perfect perception right now. It's perfect power. There's no surprises. There is no threat. It's just stunning. Christ, Christ is, his majesty is unassailable. I, um, uh, but uh, as we go into this, uh, what I want, what I want in, in, um, I want to, to, to uh, encourage you about is when we say God is sovereign, we're saying that his kingly power extends to sparrows and it even extends to viruses and microbes. He commands microbes and atoms and galaxies and people. He, he does. And meanwhile, you know, we're, 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 we feel helpless and vulnerable, right? In the, in the context of viruses we can't see and reopening that we can't manage, so other people are making decisions for our lives all the time right now, and it's very frustrating. And, but we need to hear, you need to hear me again and hear it clearly. Nobody has made a decision about this except for the Lord Most High. That is the one who has decided what's going on right now. And when things get dark, when, things, when, when conflict increases, when confusion expands, and when cruelty becomes the MO, the way we're doing business, that's the time, and those are the moments. Is it a physical disaster, or national disaster, or, or ecological disaster, or whatever, doesn't matter. Those are the moments you double down. The Lord is on the throne. Nothing has happened apart from the will of our Father. Trust in his power. Trust it with all your heart. It's for you. He ordained these things. Nothing, nothing, nothing stray or accidental is happening with microbes. Nothing. And never will. And never can. Now, we think that when things get bad, you want to kind of 
get away from sovereignty issues. Let's not talk about God being sovereign. That's a little embarrassing. You know, well, that's the right, that's the time we double down on it. That's what Christ does. He doubles down on the revelation of his power, even when things are bad. <laughs> gives, me, gives me chills to think of Jesus this way, as they're having the control of the hearts of men. Second of all, what this leads me to another thing. The 1,200 pastors who signed that letter, I don't have any judgment for them or anything. I read the letter, and, and, and it was all about defending the church's therapeutic presence in the world. And honestly, I don't give a fig for your therapeutic benefits today. That's not what I came here. I came here to preach the power of Christ and the glory of Christ. And, and it has nothing to do with this stuff. I was reading it, and I just, you know, I, I guess I just, I, what I'm afraid of most of all is that power has left the church, and prayer has left the church. Go to any church you want, and you'll see it. It just breaks my heart. And uh, I suspect that a lot of these men want to get back to business because they're afraid they're going to go out of business. I, what are we afraid? I'm not afraid we're going to get out of business. This is our father's church, not ours. He's on the throne. And, I, and I, we, have, we, we could call Gavin Newsom or any governor or president to honor the Lord most high. Well, that's a different perspective. But this was argument from constitutional rights and our need for, to be the therapeutic presence uh, for our communities. We are, we are in a time of exile right now. That's the way I would choose to understand it. And I think racing back to worship could be a mistake. It could be misunderstanding. Uh, we need to be present before the Lord in humble prayer to know where he wants his power. I'm not afraid of, 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 of coming back together. I'm not afraid of what the virus is. It's, it's completely irrelevant. But the Lord has ordained this. And these men and women who make decisions are making them under his control, just like these men were under his control. And you may say, well, that's not fair, or I don't like it. What's well, his business? I want you to hear here that I think we need to receive these as, this is a work of the Lord is forbidden worship. And by the way, the Lord has done this for before. The Lord, our Father, in the exile of his people, shut down worship for 70 years. Just like that, as a, as a reflection of the disobedience of the people of the, of, in their worship. I, look, I can't speak to, and I've told you before, do not listen to men who tell you that the virus is a judgment from God on thus and such. Also, don't listen to people who tell you it's not a judgment, because men who go either way on that are talking above their pay grade. They're talking for God in a way they cannot do it. But when it comes to the church, well, that's more our, our prayer. And we know as a church, God has put us where we are right now. I don't know when we're going to reopen. I don't know what the state will do. I don't, but I'm waiting on the Lord, on no man and in his will, because the Lord is in the power. And it's his power that's over all this. But again, I, I, I haven't gotten to the best part of this text yet. It gets better. It gets better. It gets more exciting. And it gets more encouraging. Because we finally we have the perfect purposes of Christ. Oh, shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me? Oh, Peter obviously with his usual with his usual bravado gets in there. He's got a sword, cuts off an ear. No. Peter's just Peter doesn't get it. No, he's confused. Doesn't get the. That's not on mission. No, he's not on mission with them. He doesn't understand Christ's purposes that Christ has been talking about. We're going to look at this in more detail uh, 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 again, but um, I just had the sense that what I, what I sense here is you have his perfect perceptions, which 
are filled with his perfect power, right? It's perfect knowledge married to perfect power on perfect course, on perfect trajectory, on a perf going to a perfect place for a perfect purpose. And it just gets better and better from there. How is Christ acting when he's, when he's so animated and directed by purpose like this? Well, I'll tell you who he acts like. He acts just like, just like the Almighty. He is, he is the God of Isaiah. Isaiah longed to see Jesus come, don't you know, when he was crying out about the I am and his greatness. Listen now, he speaks for the Lord. As God talks about himself, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Let's read that again. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. You remember, that's what Christ was just praying, that uh, love before the foundation of the world. You see, it's just like he always acts like this. Jesus, Jesus is the Lord most high. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish how much? All my purpose. See, Christ is on, he is animated as the eternal God himself. He is God the Son. And his purposes can never be defeated by any power in the whole universe. Praise him. Now, now, this is where it gets exciting. And in Philippians 1 6, this is where it begins to cash in for us because I want you to get excited about this because I know that you're feeling immobile and frustrated, or maybe perhaps you're feeling confused and afraid, or perhaps you just feel precarious. Maybe, you, maybe, uh, maybe you're just exhausted by this, the sheltering place. You're longing for it to be over. Maybe you're just confused and alarmed. I get it. all that. All those things make sense, right? But look at Philippians 1 6. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Oh, yeah, he will, because he's on purpose. He is on perfect purpose. He's on task for you and for me. Get how, look how good this is. Excuse me, this gets kind of exciting. Look at this. Look at verse 9. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost not one. Okay, that's the... He's, that's, that's his um, on purpose, it's telling you, fulfillment. When was this prophecy that not one of those you gave me, I have lost not one? When, did, when was this prophecy, this word delivered that Christ had spoken, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one? Because it's being fulfilled here. There was a prophetic utterance that these things would happen, and here they are, coming to pass. Well, <laughs> it was about an hour before this. Yeah, it's in the prayer. It's in John 17. That's where, the, that's, where he, uh, that's where he said this. So Christ had acted as a prophet and a fulfiller of prophecy inside of about an hour. <laughs> I, do you get this? It's like when, the, it's like when the, the person who's sowing and the person who's reaping is catching up to him. It's like, it's, the kingdom is electric. You see, Christ is alive with love and purpose in you and me right now. Right now, as I'm speaking, you're being invited into the love of God. How do I know that? Because it's about a cup, and that's what communion does. It serves us a cup. It's the same cup that Christ is drinking, but it's a cup turned into life would be a cup of death for him. You are being invited into the love of God, all of you, all of us, right now. He is on purpose, and his purposes are you. And his purpose is, is to catch you up in how his word is being announced and fulfilled in the daily commerce of your life and your marriage and your kids and what you do, and what happens with this virus. And he is on purpose today. Praise him.
Do you hear the invitation into his purposes and his love? I hope you do. I hope you do because I am hoping that the coronavirus and the closed downs and all this Zoom will mean a harvest of new life and new rebirth. And maybe today's the first day you surrender totally to Jesus and to all of his purposes, power, and perception. Maybe you do it right now. I don't know, but call out for it to happen because the, the word of God is being fulfilled in real time while I'm talking to you now. It's being fulfilled in real time on Mondays and Tuesdays and Fridays. It is being performed. It is being fulfilled. And you are its object. You're being invited to the cup that saves and rescues. Praise him. <laughs> I just get so excited about this. And, you know, as I'm talking about this, one of the things I thought about last week is, and I have this kind of fear, the real world's coming, you know, like, you know, and then there's a, you know, there is a transition here. There is that, that rough transition from me talking right now. Maybe my words encouraged you, but we're going to have to shut this down and say goodbye to each other and at the end of worship. And you're going to, and then conflict and confusion and the sense of the cruelty of this time is just going to hit you again. It's going to hit you again. Well, what are you going to do? I want to call you. I want to renew your call. I, I, the real world is tough and it's barbaric and brutal. But Jesus, let's trust his perfect perception of you and the world. He, he cannot speak fake news if he tried. He can. He's the perfect God in whom there is no lie or falsehood. Praise him. Trust is perfect knowing. And turn that perfect knowing into your prayers. Go further. Trust is perfect power. He does 12 impossible things before breakfast. <laughs> what are you worried for? He, he is the one who authored all this. He will author when it stops. And he is, he is authoring miracles today, I believe, as we pray and as we pray protection over our people. Oh, praise him. But I want to go further. I'm hoping that you will be caught up in a sense of the living wonder of God. I'm hoping that you'll be caught up in his love as you put your faith in Christ at the cross. And you put your faith in him as a substitute. As him taking the cup for you. And now you're drinking the cup sweetly. And now once you take it and trust Jesus. And if you trust and give your life to him. And have a personal knowledge of him. And he personally knows you. Oh man. Then you know what's happening? You know what, do you know what is unleashed in this world and unleashed for First Press or San Francisco? Do you know what is unleashed if you've given your life and surrendered your heart to Jesus and trust his perfect knowing, perfect power, and perfect purposes? Well, then those are going to fill you. Then those become you. Then those become the, they become the way you make decisions and the reopening and all these things. We know he will satisfy this. We know he will do it. And now, are you ready for the real world? <laughs> Who cares? Now, that's not what you need to get ready for. Are you ready for the real Jesus? Nobody's ready for that. This world, this generation, nobody's ready for Christ and his majesty. To this place we have come now with praises, with prayer, and with joy. Let's pray. Dearest Father, I thank you for I thank you that we can watch your son in this story. We can just, we can see him. He, nothing, nothing can mar his majesty. His, his perfect apprehension, his perfect control and mastery. I know, I know that he was, he was tempted just like we were to be scared, tempted to be distracted. 
tempted to run, tempted to not trust you, tempted, tempted to think evil things, but he didn't. And because he didn't, he was a perfect sacrifice for sinners like me. And because he didn't, and we put our trust in him, we are free and we are forgiven. And now that perfect knowledge and that perfect power and that perfect purpose is all animated, all moving for us. And how I thank you, how I praise you. Give us a vision of it, Father. Comfort our hearts in, our, in, in isolation. Comfort us where we are. Uh, let the Holy, you, Holy Spirit, go out now and, 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 and show and reveal to us Jesus. Now I thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Let's pretend together now the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Uh, brothers and sisters, in this time of exile, and at this time we, we uh, uh, and leadership decided to not celebrate communion as we long for our are coming back together in the flesh. This is a time of exile. And so we're not celebrating communion this week. We may in the future, as we look at this long term, and we may be in this situation longer term, but not as we will, but as he wills. But let we continue to answer, ask this question and enact this. We'll have a song and a blessing and we'll be done. Tell me, Christian brother and sister, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.